This podcast is a production of Phoenix Media. Explore more episodes of this show and other great shows on the Phoenix Media Podcast Network by visiting phoenixmedia.us. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the company or its advertisers and may contain language that's unsuitable for younger listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. I'm your host, Christian Phoenix. Now, growing up as a comic book fan of the 80s and 90s, I've always been fascinated with how storytellers translated these iconic heroes from the page to film, television, and radio. Long before we got the big-budget CGI epics we enjoy today, children gathered around their radios to hear their favorite do-gooders come to life with little more than their imaginations and these broadcasts from a time long forgotten. I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. From the black core of dark Africa, land of enchantment, mystery, and violence, comes one of the most colorful figures of all time, transcribed from the immortal pen of Edgar Rice Burroughs, Tarzan, the bronzed white son of the jungle. And now in the very words of Mr. Burroughs, the story of the curse of the pharaohs. Once Tarzan's curiosity had taken him to distant lands, to America, to England, to France, But in recent years, he had remained in the jungle that had been his birthplace and his home. And with each succeeding year, the veneer of culture grew less apparent, the deep core of savagery more pronounced. And Tarzan's friend, Captain Lawrence of the governmental police, worried about this change in Tarzan. He used every device at his command to bring the jungle man into contact with civilized people. And it was Captain Lawrence's letter that had brought the Lord of the Jungle to the expedition camp near El Amon, in a small oasis of the great Libyan desert. Halt! Halt! Yes, I shall halt, but take that bayonet from my ribs. We have had much trouble in our camp. We are wary of strangers. What do you want? This is the camp of Dr. Erickson? I want. It is. Then take me to his tent at once, will you? You are a friend of Moalem Erickson? I've never met Dr. Erickson, but I have a letter to him from my friend Captain Lawrence. He said it was most important that I come here at once. Uh, then you are Tarzan? Yes. But Dr. Erickson! Dr. Erickson! Moalem! Tarzan is here! The man you wait for has arrived! Dr. Erickson and his daughter have waited long for your arrival. They will be most happy. He has come here, sir. He will make us famous after all these years. Isn't it wonderful? Had we not met Captain Lawrence, perhaps we might never... Dr. Erickson, I... No, no, don't say a word. That is right. Just stand there. Let us examine you. Examine me? Hush! Not a word. Father, Ah. notice the head form. As perfect as any of the more advanced ethnic types. And the body development, Ilsa. The power and the ruggedness of the Neanderthal man with the refinement of a much later period. With the total absence of Negroid features, despite his African habitat. Mali, go into the equipment tent and get a pair of scissors. Yes, Moellen. I hasten to do your bidding. A lock of his hair should be examined minutely. Dr. Erickson... You see, Tarzan, an examination of the hair texture will be most important in classifying you. Will one of you please tell me why I'm being examined like some rare animal? Oh... I am sorry. Uh, perhaps our enthusiasm has made us rude. But after all, it's not every day in the week that scientists come across an important discovery. That is right. Why, when Captain Lawrence first spoke of Tarzan of the Apes, we couldn't believe our ears. 
Imagine the offspring of young apes walking erect, learning to speak, adopting many of the... Final proof of Darwin's theory. Before you increase your hopes and my anger, I might tell you that I am not the offspring of apes. What? You see, my parents were marooned on the African coast many years ago, before I was born. They were killed when I was just an infant, and I was adopted by an ape tribe. Adopted? Why, I was sure... Yes, the apes raised me. They treated me like a baby of their own, taught me how to fight for survival. I lived as one of them. But I am not really one of them. Except in spirit. I'm afraid you can't make me into a specimen for some museum. I have never been so disappointed in my entire life. Well, I shall leave now so that the cause of your disappointment... Uh, No, no, Tarzan, don't leave. Why not? Because you may yet be more useful to us than a museum specimen. Oh, in what way? Our little camp here, meant only for scientific research that can cause harm to no one, has recently become the object of some unexplainable hostility. With your great strength and jungle cunning, you could help us, perhaps. Just what is the nature of these hostilities? Well, when we left Cairo, we had a complement of almost 20 Egyptian diggers, men engaged to help us in our archaeological work. Excavating to find remnants of early civilization. Yes, but one after another, the men have disappeared. Frightened away by some power, they refused to divulge. Only Maoli, the Egyptian you spoke with when you first entered the camp, is left. Aside from Arnold Brown, father's assistant. Have you any clue to the disappearance of these men? There was one note written on ancient parchment and fastened to the outside flap of my tent by a golden pin in the shape of the traditional scarf. The image of the sacred beetle of Egyptian antiquity. The note, written in early Egyptian characters, warned us to leave this small oasis at once. Or bring down the curse of the pharaohs. Naturally, the note bore no signature, huh? Uh, Only the symbol of two entwined snakes. Their fangs extended menacingly. You see, Tarzan, we do need help. Please forgive the way we insulted you a few moments ago. Please remain with us. Will you, Tarzan? As I have explained, I, I am not a simian. But I do have the curiosity of the monkey, the ape's enjoyment of combat, and the gorilla's love of violence. I shall remain to fight these mysterious enemies. In just a moment, we shall return to our exciting story of Tarzan. In equatorial countries, there is little dawn nor dusk. The sun appears and disappears over the horizon quickly. Now night suddenly enveloped the small oasis where the expedition of Dr. Erickson had established headquarters. Outside the tent of the expedition's leader, Maoli, the faithful Egyptian servant, walked sentry duty. And inside the tent, Dr. Erickson, his daughter Ilsa, one of the doctor's young assistants, and Tarzan sat before a well-laden table. <laughs> still can't get used to sitting cross-legged and eating from a table that's practically on the ground. <laughs> By the time you've made as many field trips to the Orient as I have, Ilsa, you will be used to many things. And when you have lived in Egypt as long as I, you will find that the country's eating habits are more civilized than many of its customs. You've lived here for a long time, Mr. Brown? I've spent most of my life here. You see, Tarzan, my father was in a consular service, and I came to Egypt with him when I was only a child. On his death, I was adopted by an Egyptian family. I was educated in Cairo. Well, then perhaps you have some explanation to offer concerning the threats and the disappearance of the native workers Dr. Erickson engaged in Cairo. Well, strangely enough, although I've lived here most of my life, I didn't become interested in Egyptology until very recently. He's very apt, though. A real addition to our group. There's one thing I'm sure of, Tarzan. There's something located near this oasis that's important. Something that someone is anxious to keep hidden. 
That must be the answer, for no one disturbed us until we reached here. And we were much more vulnerable while we were traveling. Have you reported these strange occurrences to Captain Lawrence? This is outside of his jurisdiction, Tarzan. Captain Lawrence has no authority here. We have written to the gentleman through whom we obtained permission to explore. An extremely intelligent individual by the name of um, Ismail Farid. We expect some advice from him soon. I think I will go outside now. I want to watch for any new threat. Uh, Stay here and finish your meal, Tarzan. I've had quite enough to eat. And I'll take a turn around the camp before I retire. I'll let you know if I see anything out of the way. All right. I'll visit with the Ericsons a little longer before I begin my vigil. Yes, do that. I'll see you all in the morning. Good night, Tarzan. Dr. Ericsson. Good night. Good night. Tell me about him, Doctor. About Arnold Brown, the young man who just left? Yes. How much do you know about him? Nothing more than he told you. His father was an important diplomat. Arnold's lived here most of his life. He attended school in Cairo. He's recently become interested in Egyptology, uh, the study of Egyptian antiquities. <laughs> I guess I was responsible for his employment. <laughs> He's terribly attractive, isn't he? Yes, and he wears such interesting jewelry. Jewelry? I have never noticed him wearing any jewelry. What are you referring to, Tarzan? The ring he wears on his little finger. I've never noticed it. Nor I. Well, perhaps he put it on only tonight, as a warning to me. A ring? As a warning? Yes. You see, it bears the symbol of the two entwined snakes. <laughs> What's that? It sounded like Molly. The cry of death. I've heard it often. Get out there. Find out what's It's too late to save Molly's life. The two snakes have resorted to murder. <laughs> Go into your tent, Ilsa. This is no sight for a woman. Oh, the symbol of the snakes. Carved into Molly's forehead. But I've got here only a second or two after his scream. A moment before the rest of you. Dr. Erickson, how could anyone have had time to cut that symbol in Molly's forehead? Uh, perhaps with an ancient implement of torture, once used by early Egyptian religious fanatics. It is somewhat similar to a branding iron, but with a razor-sharp cutting edge. I think you showed me one in the museum at home. Hmm. It was used on traitors, wasn't it? On those whom the high priest believe guilty of betraying religious secrets to non-believers or foreigners. But I am unfamiliar with any cult that used this particular symbol. Perhaps Mr. Brown can explain it. Me? That ring you wear on your little finger, it carries the same symbol as that engraved upon Molly's forehead. Obviously placed there because of his loyalty to Dr. Erickson, a foreigner. I... I had almost forgotten the ring. I found it this afternoon in the sand. I put it on my finger because... Well, I guess that's a natural place to carry a ring. Yes? I headed for Dr. Erickson's tent to show it to him. I thought it might be the first clue to some undiscovered ruins near here. But you didn't tell me about the ring, Arnold. When I entered your tent, Tarzan was there. Hmm. You introduced us, but you didn't explain to me who Tarzan was. I didn't want to tell you about the ring in front of a stranger. You knew about Tarzan's coming, Arnold? We told about our conversation with Captain Lawrence concerning Tarzan of the Apes. Exactly. Lawrence is an Englishman. He made up a ridiculous story about some aboriginal man he wanted you to meet. And then this Tarzan came here. Well, there's little aboriginal about him. It was a very easy thing for the Englishman to get one of his agents into our camp. Do you hate the English? I distrust them. Too many of Egypt's treasures are already in English museums. Perhaps you came with Dr. Erickson to make sure no further treasures would be taken out of the country, huh? That is the law here. No items of antiquity may now leave Egypt. I am not a policeman to enforce that law. No, but you could be a member of some ancient cult determined to protect the property of the snake god, lest the government officials be lax. That's a ridiculous accusation, Tarzan. Isn't it, Father? Well, I I, I don't know what to think, Ilsa. We will give Molly a decent burial, and then we will all retire for the night, taking turns standing guard. Perhaps in the morning these strange occurrences may be examined with calmer eyes. I'll take the first shift to the sentry. And I shall retire until it is my turn. But I warn you, Arnold Brown, I always sleep with one eye open. (laughs) 
Maui was buried, and then the camp retired for the night. But despite the melodrama of early evening, the night hours passed without incident. Tarzan, pretending to sleep, peered out through a narrow slit in the flap of his tent. All was peaceful within the confines of the encampment. After two hours, Arnold Brown turned over the sentry duty to Tarzan. As night prepared to become morning, it became Arnold Brown's turn again. He wandered toward the edge of the oasis. He passed out of Tarzan's vision, obscured behind scrubby desert growth. Tarzan. I don't know. Brown disappeared behind those bushes over there, and a moment later I heard that scream. But nothing could have happened to Brown. I'm sure you were right when you suspected him. No. No, I guess I was wrong. Look. Oh, no, Brown. Dead. What's happened? Oh. I, I, I am sorry, my dear. I wish you hadn't seen him. This sign of the snakes again. Why did he come over here? Why did he wander away from his sentry post? Well, perhaps he heard something. He came over to investigate. I heard nothing, and my hearing is most acute. Whoever killed him must have been lying in wait here, and when his act was done, he must have disappeared as though into a hole in the ground. Look, the ring has gone from his hand. If only he told us where he'd found it. It must have come from a hidden tomb or ruins near here somewhere. Then we're going to find it. They're not scaring us away. You are right, Ilsa. If there's something worth discovering here, we're going to remain until we uncover it. I know little of your science, Doctor, but you can count on my help. I beg your pardon. <laughs> I think all three of you would be acting more wisely were you to return to your respective homes. Who are you? Where did you come from? Are you going to do the honors, Dr. Erickson? I, uh, I... Then permit me to make my own introduction, Tarzan. I am Ismail Farid. I have come here from Cairo to supervise any archaeological work and to protect the treasures of antiquity from foreign hands. <laughs> In just a moment, the dramatic conclusion of The Curse of the Pharaohs. Behold my precious. Ooh, yeah, let me tell you something right here, uh-huh. It's the Loot Crate subscription box, yeah, full of exclusive loot. Fun surprises delivered to your door every month. Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, daddy. ha <laughs> From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX collectible boxes, dude! Cowabunga! To the Loot Gaming video game box! Woohoo! Yeehoo! The Loot Crate Box! What's with kids today, huh? Wowzers! With crates starting as large as $11.99 per month, there's a box just about for all collectors in. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash Loot Crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's F-E-N-I-X media U-S forward slash Loot Crate. Great Scott! Snap into a Loot Crate, dig You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. Objects of antiquity may be taken out of Egypt only with the consent of its government. Indeed, excavation may not even be attempted without governmental approval. 
Ismail Farid, although not an official of the National Museum, was highly connected, and he was treated as an honored guest. Even the tragic death of Arnold Brown was cast aside in order to take Ismail Farid to the most comfortable tent of the camp, to prepare food for him, to make sure he was comfortable and reasonably contented. And only then did Tarzan and Dr. Erickson head back to the scene of the latest violence so they could prepare Arnold Brown's body for burial. Well, I am glad we finally persuaded Isol to get some rest. You know, she was getting genuinely fond of Arnold. He was very much attracted to her. I could tell that much. You know, Tarzan, I had come to the conclusion that Arnold was involved in these strange happenings. Uh, It's too bad it required his death to clear him. Well, all we can do now is to give him a decent burial. That is all we can do. Uh, I hate to go into these bushes and have to gaze on the poor boy again. Suppose you just start to dig his grave, Dr. Erickson. Uh, I'll take care of the rest. Uh, the jungle has hardened me to gruesome sights. No, I'll come into the brush and help you. After all, I... Tarzan! What? His body! It's gone! Disappeared into thin air! But what possible reason could anyone have for removing it? I don't know. Dr. Erickson, I do not have your knowledge or education, but... Many years among jungle people have taught me the ways of voodoo, native superstitions, and primitive ways. The early Egyptians shared many of the customs and beliefs of the jungle people. What are you getting at? Not too sure yet. But I want Ilsa and you to go along with a little plan I have. What sort of a plan? One that will permit us to investigate this mystery without Mr. Farid's supervision. Will Ilsa and you do as I suggest? I am sure Ilsa will do anything that may help to solve the mystery, and I certainly will. After all, we have no desire to bring the curse of the pharaohs down upon our heads. No, I cannot explain the strange disappearance of the body. But, of course, Egypt is a land of strange puzzles. Well, I'm not going to wait for the solution of this one. I'm going to accept Tarzan's offer. I did not hear of any offer on Tarzan's part. I volunteered to take Dr. Erickson and Ilsa to Tripoli. They can board a ship there that will take them home. But Cairo is so much closer. Why not... Cairo is Egypt. And if I never see this country again, I'll be more than happy. Murders, disappearing bodies, all sorts of strange happenings. There was nothing in my college courses on archaeology that said anything about that. You are most wise in leaving the land of the pharaohs, Ilsa. And you, Dr. Erickson? My daughter's life is more important to me and the discovery of some new tomb or ruins. We shall leave as soon as we can pack our supplies. Of course, without servants, this may take some little time. Well, since you have decided to abandon any attempts at excavating this territory, there is no need for my presence. I shall leave now. We bid you speed, Ismail Farid. You both gave excellent performances. I don't know how I managed mine. Wild horses couldn't drag me away from here. Farid's obvious relief at the news that we were leaving makes me sure that we're on the track of something important. Well, we won't find it standing about talking. I have a feeling our friend will turn back long before he gets to Cairo. We better get started. Mm-hmm. Tarzan, must we do our digging here where Arnold was killed? Isn't some other spot just as likely? Not if my theories are right. But uh, perhaps you might try over by that big rock. Why? Oh, why, Father and I permitted ourselves to be ordered about It's more than I can... Father! Yes, my dear? Father! Cousin! Come quickly! What? What, what is it, my dear? This. Why? An ivory-handled dagger. Where did you find it? Most directly at the base of the rock. Ah. He must have been lying here for countless years. Is it very old, Doctor? Let me examine it. Ah, yes, yes. A product of one of the very early dynasties. 
Probably made about uh, 3,000 B.C. Made almost 5,000 years ago, and it bears little sign of age. Yet it could have been held in someone's hand as recently as the time of Arnold's disappearance. I don't think we can count on that. You see, Tarzan, it's because of Egypt's unusual climate that so many archaeological finds have been discovered here. Thousands of years have left many items completely unchanged. Yes, it did have been discovered virtually intact, entirely beneath the sand. What's the matter, my dear? I suddenly felt weak. Oh. I guess the worry and the excitement... Oh, you've eaten nothing since last night. Rest for a moment, Ilsa. Lie down. No, no, no. I'll be all right. I just lean back against the rock. What? The rock! It's swinging open! You must have accidentally touched some spot that caused it to... Look! A long corridor leading straight back. Why? A long hall. Pure gold. Look, Father. Why? The characters on the sides of the walls... From the very earliest of the dynasties. Perhaps even from a pre-dynasty period. Advance carefully. Oh. It's more than possible that... Ilsa! Dr. Erickson! Yes, oh, what is it? What is it? A rock swung shut. We may be in prison here. If it is open to let us in, it must open to let us out. We can find out about that later. You cannot appreciate our feeling, stars, and this is the culmination of a lifetime's work. We will get out all right. If we're lucky enough to find the one spot that yields to a touch, it won't be easy in the dark. Perhaps it may prove impossible. You are right, of course. For the ancients knew engineering tricks we have not even begun to learn in our present civilization. But even life is less important than the thrill of such a discovery. We look for a means of escape later. Now we must explore this tomb. If you want to, Tarzan, you can remain here while Ilse and I search the splendors created by men long since dead. The native diggers who deserted you were not frightened away by men who died thousands of years ago. Nor did any men of 3000 B.C. kill Muli and, and Arnold. I shall come with you. Look at the colors on these wall paintings, Tarzan. Not a sign of deterioration after all these years. And the magnificence of the vases and the jewelry we found. Oh, it is amazing. And we haven't even reached the central room of the tomb yet. It is obvious that the mummies we have discovered are merely those of the wives of the pharaoh who is buried here. Not even in the tomb of Tutankhamun were such rich treasures buried. Uh, he must have been a most important pharaoh. Uh, wait. This must be the entrance to the central room. The symbol of the king god is over the door. Look. The sign of the two entwined snakes. Yes. And the ancient lettering that proclaims this to be the final resting place of Zaredes, snake king of the Egyptians. There. The gem-encrusted coffin. In the center of the room. Mm. Hurry. Oh, this discovery will make my name go down with those of Ryan, Marietta, and Petri as one of the great Egyptian archaeologists. Sergeant, help me raise the lid of the coffin. Uh, raise it easily. Hilsa, your touch opened the tomb. You should have the first look. All right. I stand on this stone step. And then I... What is it? Arnold Brown! Wrapped like a mummy of antiquity. His clothing and ornaments, those of an ancient pharaoh. Just someone who looks like him, you... No. No, it is Arnold. Oh. Arnold. The sign of the snake's engraven on his forehead. And the wound is still fresh. Father, what does it all mean? Quiet. The chanting. Many people are coming. Can we hide? There is no place to hide. Stand behind me. Oh. My knife may be of little protection, but they shall have to kill me before they... So, you did not leave our land. 
He remained and found the entrance to the tomb of our god. I warn you, Ismail Farid, my knife will plunge into the first person who attempts to attack us. There will be no attack. You can do no further damage to us now. Ilsa Erickson ended the days of our cult. I ended the days? Long have we, the sons of Zaradis, kept this tomb inviolate. We have met here, determined to resist the interference of strangers. But now that is all past. This is no longer our meeting place. And you, Dr. Erickson, may claim as many of the treasures here as permitted by our government. For that I am most thankful, but there is much I do not understand. Zaradis I was once buried here, and so were his son and his son's son and others in a long and noble line. Other pharaohs succeeded the sons of Zaradis to the throne of Egypt, but the Zaradis have always been the king gods to some of us, until the death of the last one, last night. Arnold Brown, was he the last of the Zaradis? Yes. Why... I thought he was the son of a foreign diplomat. He was. His grandfather revolted against the strict rules laid down for our guards. He left the country, but fate sent Arnold's father back as a member of a foreign consular service. It was necessary to kill him to secure Arnold. It must have been your family that adopted Arnold. Yes, but along with his royal blood, there flowed the blood of foreign lands. He, too, decided to cast off the responsibilities of a deity. He desired to marry you, Ilsa, and leave our land. It was necessary to kill him, to put to rest here the last of the kings of Zaradis. May we leave here now, Ismail Farid? Yes, go forth and permit us to hold the last of our religious rites. Then we shall turn ourselves over to the authorities. You, Doctor, may announce the finding of another symbol of a world that can never be again. Yes, Ismail Farid. Many of the things we treasure fade with the passing years. But violence can never halt progress, and killings can never win a battle of the soul. It is a lesson I have learned in the jungle. In just a moment, a preview of our next exciting story of Tarzan. Unaware of the fierce eyes that watch them from behind every rock and tree, the safari of the American plunges deep into the jungle. And what he cannot see, he refuses to believe. The mysteries of Africa have been highly overrated. But the mysteries and violence become real when he hears the throbbing of the voodoo drums, the chant of the savages, the incantations of the headhunters of Yambisi. Tarzan, a transcribed creation of the famous Edgar Rice Burroughs, is produced by Walter White, Jr., prepared for radio by Bud Lesser, with original music by Albert Blesser. This is a Commodore production. to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater presented by Phoenix Media. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle.
From the black core of dark Africa, land of enchantment, mystery, and violence, comes one of the most colorful figures of all time, transcribed from the immortal pen of Edgar Rice Burroughs, Tarzan, the bronzed white son of the jungle. And now in the very words of Mr. Burroughs, the story of Headhunters of Yambisi. Some parts of Africa have changed little since the days when the first white men crossed the dark continent. And those changes that have occurred may be traced to the patient missionaries, the determined colonists, the intrepid pioneers who have long battled against the aboriginal cruelties of the wild people who inhabit a wild land. But laws passed in foreign countries and relayed to colonial administrators will never alter the nature of the Congo. Instead, these laws often cause resentment and stimulate fresh outbreaks of terror. The enactment of a recent law had brought Tarzan to Saint-Dizier to speak to Jean Aubert, Governor General. But why should anyone want to tear down the curtain barriers which mark the forbidden trails? Well, those who enacted the law do not realize that these trails forbidden to white men, they are merely small paths used for native ceremonial. They cannot understand that these trails lead only to sacred places of no importance to civilized men. But if they knew that these barriers saved the lives of those inexperienced in the jungle, surely they would... Now, someone mentioned these forbidden trails in a report, and it stirred up a controversy in the Chamber of Deputies. Then one fat politician spoke of restraint of trade. Another said the natives are attempting to halt colonial expansion. Can't they realize that it's dangerous to stir up the natives? Well, to them, thousands of miles away. The stories of native voodoo, of savagery, of idol worship, barbarism, they are mere exaggerations to make our task here seem more important. If those who pass your laws could only witness some of the native practices that flourish in the Congo. No, I doubt they would believe their own eyes. Even now, in an anteroom, there sits a gentleman who has asked me to stage some native ceremonies for him. To stage them? He's an American magazine photographer. He's learned of Africa through the cinema. <laughs> He has come here to do a feature article on the modern Africa. And when he completes his task, the world will believe our citizens are as easily controlled as students in a classroom. You mean he's already made up his mind what he will find in the jungle? He's a brash, red-haired idiot. Has already confided to me the title of his article and the accompanying pictures. The heading is to read, Africa Debunked. But such a view of our country will only bring fresh misunderstandings, new laws to infuriate the natives. Can't you forbid him to enter the jungle? My instructions are to accord him every courtesy. I cannot disregard these orders. Then permit me to be his guide. I promise you that he will not find my Africa a land of gentle people who can be ruled by a shelf full of law books. Hello? You are hereby appointed his official guide, Tarzan. You have my permission to make his red hair turn white. But... I shall hold you responsible for his life. Monsieur Tarzan, Monsieur Red Hale. First time you ever saw Red Hale, huh? <laughs> Usually it's white. <laughs> I'm happy to see you have a sense of humor, Mr. Hale. You're apt to need it before you attend Sunday's game. <laughs> well, I'm game. Yeah, nothing surprises me. Not even that leopard skin you're wearing. <laughs> hey, where'd you get it? From the good old USA by mail order? This is the skin of a leopard who was about to rend a native child limb from limb. It was fortunate that I was able to jump between them. And you killed the leopard with your bare hands, huh? Monsieur Tarzan's feats of bravery and strength are legend in our country. <laughs> I gotta hand it to you guys. You're a real showman. Oh, gosh, if you could stage a battle with a leopard for me, I could get a series of pictures that'd sell a million copies of the magazine I work for. Well, then you are willing to accept me as a guide? Uh, sure, sure, why not? 
You and I will take a jaunt through the jungle and bring back enough material to go into business for ourselves. I'm afraid you and I will need assistance on our jaunt. I can travel unaided through the jungle, but those unused to jungle ways must have bearers, porters, personal boys, a scary. Well, I'm on an expense account. Let's shoot the works. I, uh... I took the liberty of winding up a manyapara, a headman. He is waiting outside. Yeah, all right. Trot him out. Hope he has a ring through his nose. <laughs> My great god. <laughs> Mickey! 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 That's the name of the savage manya... whatever he called? It is a simplified version of his native name. Yeah. One is adopted for use when he serves as a headman for safaris. Mahalagani. Nahalanajima. Pujambo, Mickey. Sajambo. <laughs> A native headman dressed in an army shirt and an overseas cap. <laughs> a little out of character, ain't he? Mr. Red Hale, this is Monaki Miki, whom you may call Mickey. He is to be your headman. I'm glad to meet you. Um, where catch him white men's clothes? I secured the uniform as part of the regular equipment issued to student engineers sent from Africa to Europe a few years ago. I was best in my class. <laughs> ah, there, now, you see what I mean? <laughs> All of this talk about savage Africa... And my headman talks like a college instructor. <laughs> uh, what made you come back out here, uh, Professor Mickey? I returned, Mr. Hale, because I could not accustom myself to the ways of so-called civilized people. Inside, I'm still what you call a savage. Oh, now, see here. I hope I'm able to restrain my savagery in dealing with you, Mr. Red Hale. But perhaps temptation may prove too great. <laughs> In just a moment, we will learn what adventures befall Mickey, Red Hale, and Tarzan when they plunge into the jungle. Set among the native huts, the sun-whitened governmental buildings, the colorful native bazaars, and the exotic shops of Lagos, is a modern building which bears the sign Safari Equipment Corporation Limited. And it was to this modern structure that Tarzan brought the skeptical Mr. Red Hale. Now, don't tell me. I know it. It just looks modern. Inside, I'll find a clerk with a bone through his nose and wearing a breech cloth made out of a gorilla skin. Oh, on the contrary, you'll find Mr. Bridges well-dressed and extremely civilized. He may be the last civilized man you see for a long time. Ah, good afternoon, Tarzan. Good afternoon, sir. Mr. Bridges, Mr. Hale. Very happy to know you, sir. Going to have a go at the jungle, eh? Uh... Yes, yes. I'm going to brave the jungle wilds where no white man has ever trod. <laughs> Sounds like a travelogue, doesn't it? Yes, precisely. We will require a green linen tent for Mr. Hale's use. Right, oh, one green linen tent. We carry only the finest, sir. Lined in red is an added protection against the sun. Some colors are more heat-resistant than others, you know. Well, the color of my hair ought to be some protection. We shall need Uganda water bottles, airtight tin boxes, a portable washstand, and the other usual camping equipment. Right, sir. In addition, you'd best measure Mr. Hale for mosquito boots and suitable clothing. Oh, we'll fix them up first rate. Hey, uh, hey, what's that up there? Well, that's a hammock chair, sir. Oh, one of those things they carry you in, huh? That's right, sir. Two porters carry the chair suspended between them. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, when you make up the order, throw in one of those. Uh, Mr. Hale, they are meant for invalids or women. Or for guys who don't like walking, huh? But it will be almost impossible for porters to carry such a chair on the paths we will follow. I said we're taking the chair. All right. But I think that before our return, you will find that this is the most dangerous decision you've ever made. Yeah, how do you figure that? I think from now on, I'll let experience be your teacher. Lessons so learned are best remembered. If 
the pupil lives. Reporters and barrels are already complaining, Carthy. I know. It's most difficult to carry Mr. Hale in his hammock chair. I don't know what we can do about it yet. Yeah, their complaints are only partly caused by the weight of the chair and the heavy photographic equipment he insists on carrying within it. Even though many of them understand not a word of English, they sense his scorn, his contempt of I know. He doesn't realize what their friendship may mean to him. He still thinks our jungle is a stage setting. But during the past few days, dozens of ferocious animals have come within a few feet of him. His eyes might well be those of a newborn baby who has not yet learned to use them. He's seen neither the animals nor the unfriendly tribesmen who have peered at him from behind every bush. Hey! Are you two going to cab all day, or are you going to dig me up something to get some decent pictures of? Tarzan, there's only one thing to do. Scare him so badly his ideas and his manners will change. Oh, that's exactly what I have in mind. Even if I have to assist nature. Uh, hey, 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 I heard that. I'm wise to your game. Now, let me tell you this. There isn't anything you can roll out that will scare me. I don't scare easy. I'm sure you're very brave, Mr. Hill. Uh, hey, you guys, hey, just keep this chair moving along. When I want to slow up, I'll tell you. Perhaps it would be good to let the Wampagazee rest here, Tarzan. No, Mickey, the porters must go on for now. I've caught the scent of an elephant herd, and at this time of the year... They Elephants, go... eh? Well, let's head for them. Might be able to get some good pictures for a change. The season is a dry one. If they hunt for water, they might be... You heard me. I'm putting the bills for this safari. Now get going. With many misgivings, Tarzan ordered the safari in the direction from which he had caught the scent of Tantor, the elephant. Now the jungle path wound through a tangled bamboo forest and then emerged into a small, peaceful-looking clearing. But as the safari crossed the small open space, the elephant herd crashed through the dense undergrowth on the opposite side. The native bearers, in sudden panic, dropped the hammock chair containing Mr. Hale and fled. Tarzan grasped the vine and swung into a tree. Now, with unerring accuracy, the jungle lord dropped on the head of the lead elephant, kicked it savagely on the side of its head, causing it to swerve. An instant before the hammock chair would have been tindered with the mighty hoof. Following their leader, the rest of the herd also swerved. Tarzan grasped the limb of an overhanging bough and pulled himself up into a tree. The elephant herd thundered away. Well, Mr. Hill, are you satisfied now that Tarzan and I have not been lying to you about the dangers of the jungle? Oh, gosh, did I get some wonderful shots of that stampede? They're worth their weight in gold. Are you all right, Mr. Hale? Huh? <laughs> sure, sure, I'm all right, Tarzan. I told you I don't scare you. Unfounded courage is often stupidity. You're like a baby ape who attempts to attack a panther. Yeah, maybe so. Except that I've never seen an ape with red hair. <laughs> well, tell the boys to come out from behind those trees. I can reach our camping place early tonight so I can try to develop a couple of these pictures. Well, what's holding things up? The porters and bearers have deserted us, Mr. Hale. The, the what? Even before you needlessly endangered their life by insisting on crossing a path of an elephant herd, they spoke among themselves of refusing to serve you further. Did you know about this, Tarzan? I did not know they'd run off taking all our food and equipment, but I was aware they might desert. Well, then why didn't you do something about it? I permitted experience to give its first lesson. And now if you can tear yourself from that chair, we shall walk from here. Uh... Okay, okay. Although you may not realize that the chair you insisted on buying might have been the cause of your death. Had you been walking, you could have leaped for the protection of the trees, as the natives did. Then I wouldn't have gotten my pictures. Oh, uh, here, Mickey, you carry the camera. Treat it tenderly now. Tarzan, you carry the knapsack with my darkroom supplies. And what will you carry? Myself. Uh, hey, 
Aren't those our boys hiding in the bushes over there? Oh, your eyesight is improving. A few days ago, you would not have known anyone watched us from the edge of the clearing. Hey! Hey, you guys! If you think for one minute that I'm going to stay... They are not our boys, Mr. Hale. Huh? They're members of the Yambezi tribe. This is their land. Okay, we'll put a few of them on the payroll, then. And I won't have to leave my chair behind. I'm afraid it would be unwise to hire Yambezi natives, even if they're willing. In the name of heaven, why not? They are cannibals and headhunters. Oh, no, no. You're not going to try to feed me that junk again. Hey, hey, you! Nina Kujabon. What did he say? He's their chief, and he says he's approaching you and brings his men. No. Jumbo Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Hello yourself. I'm glad to meet you. Hey, lay off, will you? All right, quit. Leave my hair alone. Do not touch the white man. Why did they do that? They've never seen red hair before. Uh, Perhaps they think it would make a nice trophy. No, so that's the angle now, huh? Mickey and you have cooked up this yarn about headhunters just to scare me. Oh, honestly, why This don't is you... not something Mickey and I have cooked up. These men are the fiercest savages of the entire jungle. Oh, good, good. Hey, what does the chief mean by these motions he's making? In sign language, he's inviting us to their village so that we may share their evening meal. Well, that's lucky with all our food. No, there. no, no. I, I can hunt for food. It's not wise to enter their village. For the last time, I'm tired of this game you're playing. I'm going to their village. You coming? Yes, if you insist. Mickey and I shall accompany you. And now what? They will return by that path over there. We are to reach their village by the elephant trail that skirts the small mountain just east of here. They're going to cut through there, and we have to go all the way around that mountain? But why? They were on the trail taking part in the ceremony when our encounter with the elephants disturbed them. The trail is for ceremonial purposes only, and none but members of the Ambizi may walk upon it. Oh, it's one of those trails they just passed that new law about then, eh? Yes. And it is taboo for strangers to go beyond that curtain of dried palm fiber. <laughs> you mean those old dried leaves are supposed to keep us out? No, we're to be kept out by our knowledge that those who break the taboo are apt to meet sudden death. Well, now, in the first place, I know all about that new law. It makes these forbidden trails open to everybody. In the second place, I'm not taking a long way when there's a short one. And in the third place, I'm fed to the teeth with all this, this hocus-pocus. I'm taking that forbidden trail. It is not wise. I'll get along all right. I've got a head on my shoulders. Yes, but it may not rest there long. In just a moment, we shall learn the fate of Red, Mickey, and Tarzan in the village of the headhunters of Yambisi. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. Well, Tarzan, I guess our friend Mr. Hale has reached the village of the Yambisi by now. Yes, the forbidden trail he insisted on taking must be hours shorter than this path. Perhaps he never reached the village. Perhaps they killed him the moment they discovered he'd broken their taboo. No. Had I thought his life was in immediate danger, I would not have left him. 
And the Governor General is holding me responsible for his life, after all. Well, then you're counting on the MBC to spend more time celebrating before they kill him, huh? It is the way of all tribes, is it not, Mickey? Yes, but when his time comes, how will you save him? I may not. But your promise to the Governor General, you said Mickey, that... more sacred than anything is my love of the jungle and its people. Even these savage Yambezi who merely follow the teachings of their fathers. And if Red Hale continues to scoff, if he uh, writes an article that will cause more ridiculous laws to be passed, the jungle people will suffer? Is that what you mean? Exactly. Until Mr. Hale shows fear, until he has learned to respect the ways of the jungle, I cannot help him. I believe there's more savagery left in you than there is in me. Perhaps. Come, Mickey. We're reaching the edge of the village here. How about us? Do you think the Yambisi will want to take our lives as well as his? I don't know. But we must be on guard every moment. Look, Tarzan. Hale. All alone, unguarded. They're watching him. See how they stand about in small groups? They've certainly given him the best hut in the village. And look, they've decorated him with necklaces and bracelets. Maybe we're wrong, Tarzan. Hi there. Hi. Yeah, come on over. The crop's well. And look, don't tell me what I mean. I don't want to know. So you, you have made friends quickly. Yeah, I told you I'd get by. The Forbidden Trail, they didn't attempt to stop you? No, they were just bringing some young girls back to the village. Seems they'd had some sort of a tribal right that made it okay for these girls to take husbands. You interrupted the bride ritual? Oh, interrupted nothing. They were tickled to death. <laughs> I took pictures of all the girls, the chief, and a guy who calls himself that grand something or other. And when I got back here, I developed the pictures. Now they think I'm some sort of a witch doctor. Just give me another week here and I can run for vice president. I see. All this talk about headhunters and cannibals. <laughs> you know, you had me half believing I'd find one of these those iron kettles in the middle of the village with a missionary stuck in the center of it. The Yambisi do not cook their meat. Huh? Well... Whatever I'm eating here is cooked, and it's darn good. Hey, hey, pals, bring some of this stuff over for my uh, my friends here, huh? Uh, hey, wait a minute, where's the other guy? You know, one of them talks a little English. Oh, oh there, there he is over there, see? A witch doctor, huh? and he's wearing a sacrificial dress. Yeah, <laughs> like a kid in Halloween, painting his face white, wearing all that funny junk. Do you know what that junk is he wears about his waist? Some of those voodoo dolls I've read about, I guess. They are human heads. Human heads. Are you kidding? They're no bigger than my fist. The Yambezi are clever in shrinking heads without altering a single feature. And despite his apparent friendship, I believe the witch doctor plans on adding another doll to his collection. One with red hair. Well, Mickey, despite the witch doctor's sacrificial costume and the ceremonial dress of the entire tribe, they haven't given any indication at all of meaning harm to him. He's smarter than we've given him credit for. It's been the pictures. They've never seen anything like it before. That's right. They're doing exactly what he says. They're staging their ceremony so he can use his magic box. Yeah, as long as he gives them prints to fasten on their totem poles, they're happy. Hey, hey, did you see that? Native jugglers using children instead of Indian clubs. Oh, boy, won't that make a shot. Hey, and those knives. When they throw the kids, they only miss the knives by inches. It's a native practice that even we who are used to the jungle ways have been trying to stamp out. Many children have been killed in this dance. Oh, go on. The kids aren't even scared. They're hypnotized. They are? Boy, will that make a magazine spread. Yeah, nice going there, Yambezi. And now, uh, now trot out the next act, eh? Now the snake charmer is to perform for you. Huh? It's developing into a three-ring circus. 
Hey, what are those guys doing? Passing needles and hooks and pins into their bodies. Yeah? Hey, hey Mickey, hand me that pouch with my flashbulbs in it. Oh, boy, this is great. They are holy men who torture their bodies in the belief they will earn absolutions from all their sins and be rewarded with eternal happiness. Well, I'll reward them with some candid camera shots of the rack. Hey, uh, hand me that small box and my light meter in it. Will you hurry? Yes. There you are. Yeah, that's it. Now, now the knife dances begin. Yeah, with all this material around, I need six cameras and a dozen hands. I'll hold that bag with the spare foam in it. No, no, I'll just toss it in this stone away. No, no, Mr. Hale. No, that's their sacred rock. It's just a brown stone, Dave. That eat. stone is granite. It is brown from bloodstain to stiff. Well, it's well dried in. It won't hurt the film any. Man with red hair. You defile sacred rock. Oh, come on now, come on. Let's keep the show going. Much we let you do. Walk forbidden trail. She maidens at Bridal Rite entered rival circle is enough. Now you defile sacred stone. Oh, wait, wait, take it easy now. I'll develop these pictures in the morning and you'll have... Answer! Answer! Well, Mr. Hale, I think you've finally done it. I've uh, done what? You've finally persuaded them to prove to you the savagery of the jungle. Uh, you're, you're still trying to scare me, aren't you? What? Why did they quit the rags? They're preparing a new one now. They sing about it. What are they singing about? Native tribes make up their songs as they go along. This one tells how a Matuhodari, a clever man, came to their village and made them small and flat. That's how they describe the pictures you've taken. Good. Yeah? It tells of how they fed you and permitted you to do what no one outside of the tribe has ever been permitted to do. Tarzan, the knife man is sharpening his execution blade. Mickey, they're all busy. I, I want you to slip from the village and start back to San no. We will try to meet you on the trail. No, I'll stay as long no, as... No, go, go. I, I can travel more quickly than you. Even if I'm to carry Mr. Hale. Leave, now. Well, all right. I wish you well, Tarzan. I, I, I'm still not falling for this racket. The, the knife man. You, you, you've arranged all this with the ambassador. The, the, what, what are they saying in that song now? That none, not even the members of their tribe, not even their own chief may place anything except the human head on the sacred rock. Tarzan, Tarzan, they're, look, they're coming this way. The, the one with the green painted face does have a knife. It's as sharp as a surgeon's scalpel. I will stand by your side until the end. Well, look, look, they're not kidding. They're, they're walking slowly, but they mean business. They do indeed. Yeah, yeah they're, that's too late. We, we can't escape. Perhaps not. Tarzan, Tarzan, do something. Help me. Save me. I've never been so scared in my life. Traveling over your shoulder through the tops of the trees was almost more frightening than those headhunters. But this fright will pass. Had the men of Yambezi advanced a step closer, you would not have recovered. Yeah, I, I know that now. It wasn't until they were inches from me that I suddenly realized the difference between what I've seen in the movies and the real thing. Oh, brother, I, I know now. I've seen enough of the jungle towers. Good. I will take you back to San Diego, Mr. Hale. And... When you write your article and publish those pictures you did not drop in your fright, you will tell the world that Africa is still Africa, and civilized men must understand and fear her ways. We'll return in just a moment to tell you about our next story of Tarzan. A 
sudden scream in the jungle night brings Tarzan to the rescue of a beautiful golden-haired woman who has wandered alone into the most dangerous part of the Congo. And through her, Tarzan meets the most ruthless man Africa has ever known. A man with a driving urge to kill every type of animal alive, including man. Tarzan becomes the quarry of a savage manhunt in Trophy Room. Tarzan, the transcribed creation of the famous Edgar Rice Burroughs, is produced by Walter White, Jr., prepared for radio by Bud Lesser, with original music by Albert Glasser. This is a Commodore production. and previous episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash silverageheroes. Join us again, same bat time, same bat station, for another presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior! Thank you for tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. I'm your host, Christian Phoenix. Now, growing up as a comic book fan of the 80s and 90s, I've always been fascinated with how storytellers translated these iconic heroes from the page to film, television, and radio. Long before we got the big-budget CGI epics we enjoy today, children gathered around their radios to hear their favorite do-gooders come to life with little more than their imaginations and these broadcasts from a time long forgotten. I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. From the black core of dark Africa, land of enchantment, mystery, and violence, comes one of the most colorful figures of all time, transcribed from the immortal pen of Edgar Rice Burroughs, Tarzan, the bronzed white son of the jungle. And now, in the very words of Mr. Burroughs, the story of Trophy Room. The roar of a wild beast and the scream of a woman. Tarzan grasped a hanging vine and hurled himself into the middle level of jungle growth. Swinging from tree to tree with incredible speed, he neared the spot where a beautiful blonde girl crouched in fear, a few feet from an angry lioness. On the ground between the girl and the she-lion lay a rifle. Now the girl gathered courage and reached out for the weapon, but the lioness, seeming to sense her intentions, struck out with cunning talons, raking the girl's slender arm. The scent of blood was strong now, and the lioness leaped forward. But a metal-tipped arrow, seeming to come from nowhere, caught the lioness in midair and plunged deep into its savage heart. How you 
horrible savage. You've spoiled everything. I've spoiled everything by, by saving your life? I could have reached the gun. I would have reached it. I see. Well, then I apologize for interfering. Apologies won't help now. I have no intention of claiming the animal. I, I can find meat elsewhere. Meat? I didn't want the lioness for food. Your attitude is most strange. In, in fact, the very presence of a white woman here is most mysterious. There's nothing mysterious about my presence at all. This land belongs to my husband. We have a large house less than a mile from here. In the middle of the jungle? Yes, in the middle of the jungle. But why should you question me? You're a trespasser on this land. It's up to you to explain what you're doing here. This section of the jungle is one of the few I have not explored up until now. I like to explore. I did not know that this was private land. Well, you know it now. So you'd better leave. I shall. But next time I'd suggest that you exercise a little more care when you take a walk. It isn't safe for a woman to wander aimlessly in the jungle. I wasn't wandering aimlessly. I saw the lioness prowling out here. I can see a great distance from my bedroom window. You came here deliberately to stalk a lioness? Why? Oh, you ask too many questions. I advise you to get off our land at once. And I'd advise you to hurry home and have that arm looked at. It's badly injured. I'd have given my whole arm to take that lioness home. But you can take it home. I told you I'd not claim it. I'll carry it to your house for you and, and then leave your property. Thank <sighs> you, but it wouldn't do any good now. My husband could tell at a glance how it had been killed. He'd know I hadn't shot it. Byron knows all there is to know about hunting. Byron, that's your husband's name? Byron Baldwin. I'm Althea Baldwin. I'm Tarzan. And I apologize for spoiling whatever it is I've spoiled. I, I thought you were in danger. Oh, I was. I couldn't have reached the rifle. And even if I had, I probably couldn't have killed a lioness. But I wanted to so very badly. I've never been able to understand man's passion for killing. Nor I. But hunting means everything to Byron. That's why he had our house built in the jungle. Hunting is all he cares about. I thought if I could come out here alone, if I could kill that lioness without help, I could make him respect me again. I guess a woman will do anything to recapture her husband's love. Recapture? Ah, that explains a great deal. You imagine your husband no longer loves you, huh? It, it isn't imagination. But... You're very beautiful. You have courage, too. Surely you must be mistaken about your husband's love. I'm not mistaken. If you don't believe me, come back to the house with me. I'll show you a man who lives only so he can hunt. A man whose only love is the love of killing. It's a fabulous house, Althea. Carved right out of the jungle. Yes, it's quite a show place. For the animals and the handful of natives who sometimes come here by accident. Byron! Byron! I guess he's still out hunting. Sometimes he doesn't return for days. You don't know what it's like being all alone in this big house. Alone? But, but surely you have family or servants here with you. We've had a few native women from time to time. But they never stay more than a few days. Not that I blame them. Why did they leave? Because of Muaney. I didn't tell you about Muaney, did I? No, you didn't. I think I'm more afraid of Muaney than I am of Byron when he's aching to kill. More afraid than I am of spending nights alone here in this barren house. More than the fear that I'll go mad unless I can leave here. Who or what is Muaney? Come into the trophy room with me and I'll tell you. Only walk quietly because maybe Muaney's here. Maybe Muaney didn't go with Byron today. In just a moment, we'll return to our exciting story of Tarzan. 
fear led Tarzan down a long, narrow hall until finally they stood before a heavily paneled door of polished oak. This was the trophy room. Althea swallowed hard and then swung the door open, admitting a narrow shaft of light that illuminated a few mounted heads of animals and reptiles hanging on the walls. Beneath them were large gun cases made of glass and containing every conceivable instrument of death. Aside from the narrow shaft of light, the room was in total darkness. Tarzan crossed to open the somber black drapes, but as he did so, a figure moved in the shadows, and a huge Negro, the largest man Tarzan had ever seen, came at him, his dark face contorted with rage. No! No, Rainy, no! Put that poker down! You'll kill Tarzan! Drop that poker out with your arm! If you won't drop it, I... Now I've got my hand on my knife. No, Tarzan, don't harm you, Annie. He didn't, he didn't know what he was doing. He's like a child. I'll find out what sort of a child he is. Tell me why you attacked me. Or I'll plunge this knife into your heart. Tell me. Please, Tarzan, let him go. He can't tell you what was in his mind. He has no powers of speech. You, what? Oh. All right, I'll let him go. For now. There you are, Annie. But I warn you. Thank you, Tarzan. If anything had happened to him, Byron would never have forgiven me. Nueni, go to your room. I'll call you when the master comes. I said go to your room. Well, if that's the reception Nueni accords every newcomer here, I don't wonder that you're alone. I don't think he's actually vicious. He just has some sort of strange idea that he must protect everything that belongs to Byron. Of course, he thinks of me as one of Byron's possessions. I guess I am. Has he never spoken? I don't think so. Although, of course, we're not sure. You see, Byron bought him at a slave auction when he was full grown. Despite his size and his strength, he was quite a bargain, being mute. Is he deaf as well? Oh, no. He has superhuman hearing. The way Dr. Sloan explained it, he's extremely sensitive to vibrations. I suppose that's why he can sense the coming of an animal from an incredible distance, even against the wind. A valuable asset for a hunting companion. Is that why Byron keeps him? Of course. Dr. Sloan examined Muaney and said that with his sensitivity to vibrations, he could be taught to speak. Byron was furious. He hadn't given Dr. Sloan permission to examine Muaney, and he had no intention of having his perfect servant changed. Who was Dr. Sloan? Oh, I, I didn't tell you about him, did I? No, you didn't. He was a well-known hunter as well as being a famous doctor. Byron invited him here, and he was our guest for several months. I suppose he would have remained longer had it not been for his interference in the case of Muaney. That's incredible. Byron suddenly decided Dr. Sloan was a meddling fool and he was afraid Nueni might hear the doctor say he could be taught to speak. Byron didn't want that. He drove Dr. Sloan out of the house in the middle of the night at the point of a gun. Well, I'll open the drape so you can see my beloved husband's altar room more easily. No, I'll do it. You call this his altar room? Yes. This is where he does his worshipping to the only God he knows. I've seen him spend hours here just polishing the stock of a favorite gun. Althea... When we met, you said you wanted to kill the lioness so you could recapture your husband's love. And yet you speak of him with hatred in your voice. Do I? Why did you marry him? Oh, he was quite a catch. Tall, handsome, wealthy. A well-known sportsman with a romantic hunting lodge in Africa. Any girl would have jumped at the chance. Yes, I can understand that. But now that you know what he is, why don't you leave him? I tried that twice. Oh, yes, I have a great chance of trying to get away from Byron and his watchdog, Nueni. No one should be forced to remain in a place they find unbearable, with people they've come to hate. I'll help you escape, Althea. Oh, would you, Tarzan? Would you take me with you to another land? To a place where Byron can't find me? Of course I will. Oh, Tarzan, I've waited years for someone like you to come along. Promise you won't go back on your word. Of course I won't. 
Well, this is a pleasant little scene. Byron. It's quite a surprise to come home and find my wife in the arms of another man. She was hardly in my arms. She'd started to cry, and I was merely comforting her, patting her on the back as I would a small jungle creature who was lost and frightened. Yes, I can see from your attire that you're more used to the jungle than to the drawing room. Yet certain, shall we say, gifts seem instinctive. Among the apes who raised me, there was always one crime that was unforgivable. The taking of another's mate. It's a crime I could never be guilty of, for I myself have helped a pack of apes tear the violator of this law limb from limb. I have no intention of attempting to tear you limb from limb, jungle men. But I think you will find that I am not without my own forms of punishment. <laughs> if I'd known you were Tarzan, I never would have talked to you like that. Tarzan? Why should my identity make any difference? Uh, we'll get to that. But right now you've got the promise to stay for dinner. Althea's fixing it now, and I have to admit she's a good cook. Is that why you keep her here against her will, so she can cook for you? Oh, so she's been off in that tack again, eh? I suppose she told you I was a little off my rocker, and I kept her a virtual prisoner here. Yes, she did. Poor Althea. I wish I knew what to do with her. She has the most incredible imagination. Are you sure that what she's told me stems from imagination? Well, of course, I don't know exactly what she's told you, but I know her usual line. It's part of her malady. I had a famous doctor come all the way here to examine her. He said she'd have to be placed in an institution for an indefinite period. Was that Dr. Sloan? Yes, it was. So she told you, huh? Well, your stories concerning him differ slightly. I never told Althea the whole truth. I was so furious at Dr. Sloan's diagnosis, I'm afraid I ran him off. Althea told me you drove him off because he threatened to teach Muani how to speak. Poor Althea, she knows I'd give my right arm to help Muani lead a normal life. I bought him from his parents because they planned to kill him out of fear of his muteness. They thought he was the reincarnation of some evil spirit. Yes, knowing the native mind, I can believe that. You can believe everything I've told you, Tarzan. What reason could I have for lying? I don't know. Ah, here comes our dinner. Put the tray on the low table, Muani. Are we to eat here, Mr. Baldwin? Please call me Byron. We're going to be great friends, Tarzan. You don't mind eating here? To be truthful, I disliked this room, the display of guns and the mounted heads of animals killed only for the satisfaction of killing them. We could eat in the dining room, Byron. Nonsense, my dear. I'm not having you go to additional work. You see, Tarzan, we keep most of the house closed up because of the, well, the impossibility of obtaining reliable native servants. It would take Althea and Muani hours to get the dining room into usable shape. I see. Why don't you tell him the truth, Byron? That you even sleep in this room? That you can't bear to be separated from the animals you've mastered? Oh, now, now, please, dear, try to calm down. I know you're upset today, but... Also... Yes, I am upset. I'm upset because now I can see from Tarzan's expression you've convinced him I'm crazy. Please, Althea. Please. It'll be the same as it's always been. He'll go away convinced I'm insane and you're normal. Well, I won't let you fool anyone else. I won't... No, 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 you any back? I'm holding her wrists. Althea wasn't going to hurt me. She's just a little overwrought. Tell Muani you weren't going to hurt me out there. No, Muani. I wasn't going to hurt the precious Byron. See, Tarzan? Yes, I'm afraid I do. He has convinced you, Tarzan. You didn't raise a finger to help me. You think I'm mad now? The way you flew at him, it, it wasn't the act of a sane person. I, I've seen such fury in the jungle, but only from animals who oh. had... <laughs> Shall we eat, Tarzan? Out there we'll get over it in a few minutes. She'll sulk over in that corner for a little while, and then she'll join us. Uh, Muani, better take the coffee back to the kitchen and heat it again. The strange thing is that when Althea gets over this spell, she'll be normal and lovely again. 
Here, have a bit of this cold mutton. I'm afraid my appetite has deserted me. Althea, what are you doing with that gun? Althea, put that gun down. Killing is never the way to solve a problem. I didn't load it. I just want to prove to you whether it's Byron or I who's crazy. My favorite rifle. You smashed it. You broke it into pieces. Look at it. My lovely Cogswell and Harrison. Even the telescopic sight ruined. Althea, I'll never forgive you for this. It was my favorite rifle. My very favorite... Byron, Byron, after all, it's only a gun. Only a gun? I killed a hundred animals with it. I've worked over it for days, adjusting the sight, finding out the best ammunition for a sure kill. It... It was the one rifle I really loved. <laughs> She's ruined it. I hate to destroy anything, Carson. But it was the only way of making him show his hand. I can see the picture now, Althea. I'll keep my promise. I'll help you escape. Oh, no, you won't. Just step back or I'll put a nice little hole in your forehead. I always carry a pistol, just in case. There's no use reaching for your knife. Ueni is very skillful at sleight of hand. My knife is gone. Yes, and your bow and arrows, too. Ueni and I expected something like this. No, Tarzan. Don't move toward him. He's an excellent shot. He couldn't miss at this distance. No, I couldn't possibly miss. But... I'm going to give you one chance to escape, Tarzan. However, I hardly think you'll like the condition. In just a moment, the exciting conclusion of Trophy Room. Something right here, uh huh. It's the Loot Crate subscription box, yeah, full of exclusive loot on surprises delivered to your door every month. Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, Daddy. <laughs> From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX collectible boxes, dude, Calabunga, to the Loot Gaming video game box. Woohoo! Wowzers! With crates starting as large as $11.99 per month, those are backs just about for all collectors. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash loot crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's F-E-N-I-X media dot U-S forward slash loot crate. Great Scott! Snap into a loot crate, it. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. Byron, you spoke of giving me one chance to escape, provided I met certain conditions. What are the conditions? I read a story once about another man who had tired of the endless game of pitting his intelligence against that of dumb animals. He contrived a game wherein he would hunt 
man. Byron. Yes, yes. I've begun to find that even the most formidable of four-legged animals is no match for my hunting skill. But from what I've heard of you, Tarzan, you combine the intelligence of man and the jungle knowledge of wild animals. Were I to hunt you... It might prove a thrilling experience. And why should I agree to serve as the quarry of your mad hunt? Because were I to give you a head start, there might be some chance of your getting away. I could just as easily kill you now. But you wouldn't, Byron. You're too much of a sportsman to kill a defenseless animal, even though he'd be a man. <laughs> I would prefer a hunt. But it takes two to provide the chase, the hunter and the hunted. You can't play your game unless I agree, so I, too, can set forth conditions. Tarzan, you are thinking of playing his crazy game. I may. What are your conditions, Tarzan? That you return my bow to me, and that you provide me with one arrow. You may select any gun you choose, and you may take one bullet. Before our game is over, we shall find out who is to be the hunter and who the hunted. Why should I agree to such ridiculous terms? Because were you to merely set me free, were you to give me the head start you mentioned, I... I could take to the upper level of jungle growth and be miles from here, almost before you left the house. Why don't you take Byron up on it if you can escape? Why do you stand But if here? you agree to play the game my way, Byron, I will remain within a certain area. I promise that I shall not travel further than you can follow between now and dawn. All right. It's agreed. Let's take my property as the area for the hunt. There are fences on two sides, to the north and the east. The western boundary is marked by a wide creek, and the southern... By the bamboo forest. I understand. The area is acceptable. And you shall have one arrow. And I, one bullet. It shall be a contest between one man and another. With life as the prize. Are you mad too, Tarzan? No, Althea, I'm quite sane. But this is the only method I can think of to free you from your captivity. Your only chance of a future rests in my ability to kill Byron before he kills me. <laughs> Tarzan knew well the odds of this strange game, the advantage that a man with a gun had over one with a bow and a wooden arrow. He headed for the bamboo forest and then circled back along the heavy steel fencing that marked the north end of the hunting area. He walked softly, but if his adversary were near, he too knew the lore of the forest. No rustling leaf and a cracking twig revealed his presence. The wind was still... But even if it had not been, Tarzan realized his opponent was enough of a hunter to circle away from the wind. There was no scent, no sound, no hint that death in the form of a bullet might be waiting for Tarzan behind a bush, behind a small rock, from the creek bed, or the fork of a tree. Hours passed, and still there was no sign of the hunter who had selected Tarzan as his quarry. Mr. Byron Baldwin, you're not quite as accurate a shot as you gave yourself credit for. Perhaps the excitement of this hunt. So, you're neither a good shot nor a good sportsman. You have many bullets. <laughs> I have a more resourceful opponent than you have ever met before, Tarzan. Yes, excitement spoiled my aim, but it will not do so next time. Or if it should, I will shoot again. And again after that, if necessary. I have but the one arrow. But my hand will not tremble. And now there was little doubt of who was the hunter and who the hunter. 
Tarzan used every trick at his command, but Byron kept on his trail, firing each time Tarzan exposed himself for a split second, never permitting Tarzan to draw close enough to use his bow. Now the jungle was quiet again. Tarzan had evaded his pursuer for a moment. He breathed more easily. And then, rounding the turn of the creek, he saw Mueni waiting for him in the shadow of a great tree, a gun in his hand. But Tarzan saw one thing more, a deadly python hanging from the tree about to wind its life-crushing coils about the mute. Tarzan raised his bow, fitted his lone arrow carefully to the string. He let the arrow fly, and the python dropped to the ground at Mueni's feet, a slender missile through its brain. Yes, I know I'm a fool, Mueni, to have wasted my single arrow and then to let my hunter know where I am by sounding my victory cry. But perhaps life isn't the most precious thing in the world anyway. Maybe self-respect is. <laughs> well, Mueni, we've cornered our quarry, haven't we? And his arrow is spent. Go ahead, Byron, shoot me. You've won the game. Oh, it's too easy this way. At point-blank range. Start running. I want to hear you beg for your life. Go ahead. Run and plead. You have never yet heard an animal of the jungle plead for mercy. Go ahead, Byron. Prove once more that you're a great hunter, a noble sportsman. <laughs> you sound brave. But you'll crack yet. You'll crack now. As I raise my rifle to my shoulder. As I squint my eye. Take my sight carefully. Begin the pressure on the trigger. And... You any... Mueni, you... You shot me. You... You... Mueni, you saved my life. And you killed the man who called himself your master. Man! Man! Oh, 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 did you have to kill him? I didn't kill him. But surely you aren't sorry to see him dead. I loved him. No matter what he was or what he did, I loved him. I told you when we met this morning, I was only trying to regain his love. Oh, no, I'm a fool. You didn't kill him. Then who? Mueni. Mueni, why? Tarzan. First friend. He spoke. Mueni spoke. Your doctor friend once said he could learn to speak, and sometimes out of great feeling come lessons not even science can teach us. Great feeling? I don't think I'll ever feel anything again. Yes. Yes, you, you will learn to feel and love and live once more. And Mueni will learn to speak and to make a new life. Each of you will be a whole person with no master to rule your soul. Nature intended it thus. And in the end... Only the laws of nature triumph. We'll be back in just a moment to tell you about our next story of Tarzan. With courage and determination, a small group of pioneers push forward the development of new lands in the jungle wilderness. But disaster lurks behind each rock and death behind each tree. For these pioneers are opposed by a powerful jungle ruler, one who is referred to as the Lord of the Jungle. In our next story, Tarzan's Mistake. 
Tarzan, the transcribed creation of the famous Edgar Rice Burroughs, is produced by Walter White, Jr., prepared for radio by Bud Lesser, with original music by Albert Glasser. This is a Commodore production. to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater presented by Phoenix Media. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. From the black core of dark Africa, land of enchantment, mystery, and violence, comes one of the most colorful figures of all time, transcribed from the immortal pen of Edgar Rice Burroughs, Tarzan, the bronzed white son of the jungle. And now in the very words of Mr. Burroughs, the story of Tarzan's mistake. White cats, 13, walking under ladders, spilling salt, knocking on wood. Maybe the list doesn't include your superstitions, but because people about us believe in these things, we sometimes think that maybe there's something to them. Tarzan had lived among the African natives for many, many years, and the voodoo and the jungle magic he had once scoffed at had become more and more a part of his own beliefs. Now he sat in the small windowless hut of Nadenga, sorceress of the Manobo tribe. Sitting cross-legged opposite the old woman, he watched her intently as she sprinkled secret powders into the kettle between them, began to sway rhythmically and utter a magical incantation. What do you see in the kettle, Nadinga? Nadinga, see nothing. But you must see something. I came hundreds of miles because you summoned me. You must see something there. You must tell me. Nadinga, try. Into cold an eagle's beak. Make the magic kittle speak. I have told wing of bat, fur of lion, tooth of cat, claw of panther, claw of mate. Tell us, tell us Tarzan's fate. Well, Nadenga? I see now. I see Tarzan and skin from magic cauldron. Yes. Jungle is no more. White men tear down trees, fill roads, cross men with wagons that breathe fire. Railroads? White men kill blacks. Destroy all in their path. Tarzan, go live in white man's city. But I wouldn't do that. There's no other place. Jungle gone. Black men who Tarzan's friend dead. Now I see Tarzan sick. He pale, dying. Cannot live in city. So he too go to the land of spirits. But is there nothing I can do to change this, Nadenga? Tarzan must stop white man from destroyed jungle. White man, come now near village Manobo people. Near here? Tarzan must stop Tarmangani from build iron road for wagons that breathe fire. Tarzan must destroy tools, supplies. White man must kill. Come, Tarzan. Come into Ima. 
Me, Lokimo, Chief Manobo people. Thank you, Lokimo. Uh, sit down. Eat meat with Lokimo. He's Tarzan's friend. I have no wish to eat now. My, my mind is greatly troubled. You speak to Lokimo what in mind and heart. Lokimo no Tarzan since... He young boy. Lokimo, have you seen any white men near here lately? Nidhi, oh. This morning, see white men few miles village. But I came here only this morning. I didn't see them. You come from Punya village? Yes. Ah, uh, then you come from north. White men south of village. Near Yukanya mountain. Lokimo, see only this morning... They make camp there. Did you tell Nadenga about seeing them? Oh, only Lokimo know. Not tell anyone yet. But Nadenga knew all about their coming. Uh, Nadenga, great sorceress, know all. She says they intend to build a railroad near here. Not know. But these Tamangani, these white men, make me camp. Start build huts, stables for iron animals with great shields. Those with great teeth and those that crawl like Gibla, the crocodile. You mean bulldozers, steam shovels, and tractors? Well, I won't let them destroy my jungle, kill my friends, and drive me from my home. Uh, what do we do? We must smash their equipment, destroy their supplies, frighten them so badly they will never want to return here. We must drive them from our jungle. <laughs> In just a moment, we shall learn what happens when Tarzan and the warriors of Manobo attack the camp of the white men. At the foot of the towering Yukanya Mountain, the camp of the white men had begun to form a well-organized pattern. They had arrived only this morning, but already much had been accomplished. Exhausted, most of the expedition had retired for the night, but in the tiny field office... Two men studied blueprints by the flickering light of an oil lamp. Uh, can you turn the wick up a trifle more, Whitehead? There are a few things I'd like to recheck here. If you'll pardon my saying it, Mr. Halliday, I hmm? think it's time we turned in. We've all had a rough day. Yes, yes, I know, but I can't help worrying about the way we're going at this. Don't you honestly believe we've been better off starting to lay tracks from Lagos and then... Don't you trust my judgment? Oh, well, yes. Yes, of course I do, Whitehead. According to your references, you're one of the finest engineers in the country, but I still think we're making things tough for ourselves. Here, look. This mountain, for example. Mr. Halliday, I've been over surveys of every inch of ground between the tin mines and Lagos. And if we're going to build a railroad between the two, there's no way of avoiding that mountain. Yes, but the costs of making the cut through the mountain will be fantastic. If we run into rock deposits, it'll... it'll break me. I'm willing to bank on my knowledge of geology, Mr. Halliday. The mountain's free of rock deposits, except for some shaly sandstone that we can cut through like butter. Well, I hope you're right, but I'd still feel a lot happier if we didn't have to start with the cut. It's our toughest problem, I admit that. Mm. But I like to take the toughest hurdles first. You won't be sorry you took my advice. Mm. Well, I'm banking heavily on you, Whitehead. My original plans go... What? What's that, White? Oh, no! Well, let's get outside. Hurry! Something's sure causing a devil of a racket. I can't imagine what's going on. Oh, no, no. Look! Heavages! Hundreds of them there. Oh, they're smashing our equipment. They're tearing our buildings down. They're ruining everything we've brought here. Better not get too close to them. I'll get our guns. 
already the tide of destruction had swept over the camp of the white men. Buildings were smashed into kindling wood. Tractors and bulldozers and steam shovels were rendered useless. Valuable supplies were hacked and shredded beyond recognition. Halliday saw his life savings, his brave investment in Africa's future, fall before the savage onslaught of infuriated blacks, led by a white savage in a leopard skin. Before Whitehead could return with a gun, the natives had finished their job and disappeared into the deep jungle. What was that? I... I don't know. Some victory cry of the natives or an animal in the distance doesn't matter. Nothing matters much now. Well, this is a pretty tough break. One we couldn't look forward to. No. No, I suppose not. I feel badly for your sake as well as my own whitehead. And I I may not be able to live up to that contract I made for your services. Oh, forget about it, Mr. Halliday. I won't try to hold you to the contract. Oh, thank you. Thank you, boy. I suppose we'll be heading back in the morning. Mm. No. No, we won't. I don't know what I'll be able to do, but I'm not giving up my dream of this railroad. If I have to, I'll build it rail by rail and tie by tie with my own hands. What do you see in your magic kettle now, Nadinga? Heart of white men still strong. They not move, Camp. Not leave jungle. They haven't left? Well, I thought surely that after we ruined their equipment, they would flee as fast as they could. White men still won't destroy jungle, drive black men from home. Well, they won't do it. If what we've done hasn't made them decide to leave our jungle, we shall take other measures. What Tarzan do? I don't know yet, but I'll make a plan. I'll leave you, Nandadenka. I would have words with Lokimo, chief of the Manobo tribe. May spirit smile upon you, Tarzan. Lord of jungle. May the spirit smile upon you, Nadenga, Mighty sorceress. Lokimo! Lokimo! Jumbo! Tarzan! Jumbo! I was just coming to your Hima. Have your scouts returned from the Ukanya land yet? They returned just now. They tell that white men not leave their camp. Nadenga seemed to know that even before your messengers arrived here. She told me they hadn't left. Huh. Nadenga know all. What we do now, Tarzan? We shall wait until the full moon, which is but a few days off. Then, with the moonlight shining down upon the camp, we shall smash what is left of their equipment. We shall let them see our war masks and our arrows. And we shall brandish our knives and make war signs with our spears. It will be their last warning. Hello there. You, Mr. Halliday? Yes, I'm Halliday. Yes. I'm Captain Lawrence of the governmental police. Oh, I came here just as soon as your runner reached town. Well, thank you, Captain Lawrence. Uh, meet Mr. Whitehead, our chief engineer. Well, I'm delighted to know you, Mr. Whitehead. Well, there's some of things you haven't given up your construction work yet. Oh, no. <laughs> things weren't quite as bad as we thought at first. So we had to send to Lagos for a great many replacement parts and repair materials. And I was forced to send a letter back to the bank asking for additional financing. But without further setbacks, we still have a chance of building our railroad. Well, I certainly wish you luck. And I'll try to find out something about the attack made on you. Uh, did you see any of the natives closely? Mm, no, no. We were some distance from them. Mm. You couldn't describe any of their native tattooing then, their tribal marks? I'm afraid that's a blind trail, Captain Lawrence. We couldn't possibly identify any of them. All we can do is to repair our equipment, pray they won't attack again, and get to work. Oh, wait, wait. There might be one clue, Captain Lawrence. Yes? 
Their leader was a white man. A white man? Well, that might explain a good deal. I understand the owners of the tin mines near Kuraka aren't anxious to have a railroad servicing their competitors. But this man was no tin mine operator. He was a savage. Well, I think he may have been the one who gave that unearthly cry as they disappeared. An unearthly cry? Hmm. No, it's not possible. It couldn't be. Well, what are you talking about, Captain? The cry. Did it sound like the victory cry of the bull ape? Uh, well, I've never heard a bull ape, but I rather imagine an ape might sound like that. Captain Lawrence, where are you going? Into the jungle to find Tossin. Move quick, white man. I'm coming to your council fire with you. There's no need to push me. My noble people, not like white men who sneak into our village. I didn't sneak in. I walked right up to your sentry and asked him plainly whether he had seen Tarzan. It is important that I find him. Why do you want to see me, Captain Lawrence? Tarzan! Tarzan, it's good to see you again. I leave, Tarzan. Not want talk with white man. I shall join you in a moment. What do you want, Captain Lawrence? Well, that's not a very enthusiastic welcome for an old friend. Your lack of courtesy could be a shield to hide a guilty conscience. Why should I have a guilty conscience? Two nights ago, a savage attack was made upon the camp of a Mr. Halliday. It was an unwarranted attack that caused considerable damage. And it was led by a white man. The white man could have been you. It could have been. Tarzan, what's happened to you? You've always been against unreasonable attacks, wasteful destruction of materials, injuries to a great and noble cause. A great cause? Do you think that tearing down the jungle to build cities where crime will flourish is a great cause? That depriving my black brothers of their homes is noble? Listen to me, Tarzan. Listen carefully. Charles Halliday is a friend of the black men. And he has invested every cent he has to build a railroad for their help. What do you mean? For many years, the owners of the tin mines near Kuraka have had a virtual monopoly. They've dictated the poor wages paid the miners. They've set the price to be paid at Lagos. And they've established the unbearable working conditions under which the blacks have long suffered. I know that well. But Halliday, because he is a great man, has hired engineers and has bought expensive equipment to run a railroad to other mines. Once the line goes through, if you permit it to go through, all of that will be changed. Is it possible? It's more than possible. It's a fact. When or if tin is delivered quickly to Lagos from these new mines, the mine owners of Caracas will no longer be able to pay starvation wages. They shall have to build clean houses for their workers. And they shall have to sell their product at a fair price. The future of Africa itself has been threatened by your savage attack on Halliday's camp. I have been away from civilization too long, Captain Lawrence. I've been swayed by the superstitions and the fears of the natives. I have made a mistake. You have made no mistake, Tarzan. Huh? Who's this? She's Nadenga, sorceress of the Manobo people. The one who influenced me to make the horrible mistake for which I must make amends at once. Good. I knew I could count on you, Tarzan. Tarzan, not make mistake. Words of Nadingo are true. White man's camp must be destroyed. In just a moment, the exciting conclusion of our story of Tarzan's mistake. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle.
Your curses and your threats will do no good, Nadenga. My mind is made up to help my white brothers. Men of Mano will not help. Yes, you've been successful in frightening them, so they will not undo their wrong, but at least they've promised not to attack the camp again. That bad promise. Nadinga's magic heart that talks say Manobo should attack. Your magic heart that talks? I've never heard of that device. See? His new magic tells Nadinga future. Look. Fear. Oh, that isn't magic. It's a watch made by a white man. His magic heart. It is a small porcelain watch in the shape of a heart. Can't imagine where you've got it, but I'm sure it's not magic. No, Captain Lawrence has opened my eyes, and I will not be misled again. Goodbye, Nadinga. Evil spirits haunt your sleep. Double troubles shall you reap. Poison be your meat and bread. Voodoo curses on your head. So you found him, huh? Yes, Mr. Halliday, this is Tarzan. Tarzan, this is Mr. Halliday. And Mr. Whitehead is chief engineer. Glad to know you, Tarzan. I'm afraid I can't add my salutation to Whitehead's, Tarzan. No amount of apologies will make up for what you've done. I don't blame you, Mr. Halliday, but I did not intend mere apologies to atone for my crime. Eh, well, we could use a man of your strength on the labor gang, but I have to have men here I can have faith in. If you'll pardon me, Mr. Halliday, I don't believe you're being fair. He's admitted freely that he was the one who led the raid. Let's give him a chance to make it up. I'll have to make this decision, Whitehead. Mr. Halliday, what damage that we did caused you the most inconvenience? The most serious damage, that I'd hardly term it an inconvenience, was the hacking of the railroad ties. We may not be able to get more, even by the time we're ready for them. I bought the last they had in Lagos. I'm sure they'll come through, Mr. Halliday. And even if they don't, we can use local woods. I am not taking a chance on anything but the best time. Mr. Halliday, I know of woods in the jungle that are even harder and tougher than those we demolished. I shall make it my personal responsibility to fell the trees and fashion the ties you need. And I still have serious doubts about you, Tarzan, but... Well, if you can make good on that promise, I'll be willing to concede that I'm wrong about you. Well, Mr. Halliday, how did the work go today? Uh, well, not too well, Captain Lawrence. We ran into granite deposits. Oh? Yes. Whitehead was certain there was nothing but shale there. But I, I just can't understand how he made such a mistake. Well, I guess we're all entitled to one mistake. Even Tarzan, who's made few in his lifetime, made one when he led the attack against you. Yes, and you made one when you didn't arrest him after you'd found him. There's no sign of him or the railroad ties he's promised. Oh, what's that? Another attack! I was right in not trusting that white savage. You'll face his men! You'll face them! Ready! They're retreating into the jungle, all right. Oh, we've killed half a dozen of them. Yes, we have, but look. Three of our men on the ground with arrows through their hearts. Your Tarzan and his promises. But he didn't lead this attack. And I swear on my honor, he had nothing to do with it. Hell, if Tarzan wasn't responsible for the attack, at least he has no intention of helping us. For all we know, he's hundreds of miles from here by this time. In one conclusion, Mr. Halliday was 100% correct. Tarzan was hundreds of miles away. At the very moment, he was walking down the rubble-strewn main street of Kuraka, center of the great tin monopoly. He passed the wretched shacks of the workmen, glanced at the sign over the headquarters of the largest of the mine owners, and then strolled into a small shop that sold trinkets and ornaments. Something in the store's window had caught his eye. 
May I help you? I noticed a heart-shaped watch in your window. Could you tell me its price? Uh, it's four pounds six. It's very fine porcelain. There's not another one like it to be had in all of Africa. Hmm. How can I be sure of that? I, I myself purchased the watches in Switzerland and bought them here. There was only two of that particular design ever made. Good. I'd like two of them. Were I to return home with only one, it might cause jealousy. Uh, I am very sorry, but I sold the other one some time ago. Oh, that's too bad. Well, I'll have to think about buying just one. Perhaps I'll be back later. I have some business here in town, right next door. I, I noticed the sign Weisskopf and Son as I came in. Uh, yes, it is the largest tin mining firm in the entire district. Do you happen to know if Mr. Weisskopf would be in at this hour? Uh, Mr. Weisskopf is a very old man. He goes home quite early. Oh, but I didn't say which, Mr. Weisskopf. How about the son who's mentioned in the sign? The old man had hopes his son would enter the business when he erected the sign, but the lad had other ideas. Like taking up a profession instead of entering the business? Why are you questioning? And could the profession have been that of engineering? I don't know. What is this all about? And anyway? the other watch, was it to young Mr. Weisskopf that you sold it? That's none of your business. Perhaps not, but I have an inquisitive mind that insists on hearing the answers. Well, Captain Lawrence, I guess you're wrong about Tars. But he huh? couldn't have felt a treason fashion enough ties during two weeks. Perhaps in a few days. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry, Lawrence. But if Tarzan intended to keep his word, he would have brought some here by this time. We're ready for them now. And there aren't any to be had in Lagos, either. Well, I wish I could make some suggestion. All I can do is to have my men continue to guard your work. At least there haven't been any further raids. <coughs> what was that? Uh, you spoke too soon, Lawrence. Look, hundreds of natives this time. And this is the end of us. Like a tide of locusts, the warring blacks swarmed upon the camp. Captain Lawrence's small band fought valiantly. The workmen defended their equipment with picks and shovels as weapons, but they could not withstand the savage attack. And then suddenly from the thicket came a second band of natives, led by Tarzan. They waded into the attacking horde. Caught between Tarzan's band and the men of Captain Lawrence, the attackers became confused and disheartened. Badly beaten within a matter of minutes, those who were left fled into the jungle depths. Tarzan, you saved us this time, but... But why are your men holding Whitehead? Let me go! You have no right to hold me prisoner! I'd like to know... Quiet, Mr. Whitehead, or I shall permit my men to kill you in now. In the name of heaven, Tarzan, what's this all about? When I left here, I went to my friends of the Punya tribe. Together, we began cutting down the trees and fashioning the railroad ties you needed, Mr. Halliday. Yes? But I was troubled by what had taken place here. Not your unfriendly attitude toward me, Mr. Halliday, for that was natural, but by Mr. Whitehead's friendly reception, which was most unnatural. I merely wanted to... I left the cutting of the wood to the Punyas, and I traveled to Caracas. You went to Koraka? And a sign there reminded me of the German language I once studied. I suddenly remembered that the German Weisskopf, translated into English, is Whitehead. Weiss... Weisskopf and son. The firm that's tried to block me at every turn. Oh, I can explain, Mr. Halliday. Yes, yes, and I suppose you can explain why you chose pure granite for me to cut through? My men will take care of Mr. Whitehead, alias Weisskopf. Martin... Escort our friend back to Lagos for trial. No, I can explain it. He's all upstate. You see, he bribed a native sorceress with gifts of watches and other trinkets, and she stirred her people and me into opposing you. She shall receive jungle punishment. Well, I've changed my mind about you, Tarzan. But we still face problems. Perhaps I can help with some of them. The punyas who defeated the last of the natives Mr. Whitehead recruited will return and get the ties we dropped when we heard of this latest attack. We, you brought them. And I can also show you an old elephant trail that will make it unnecessary for you to cut through the balance of the Ukanya Mountain. So there is an easy way? There is no easy way to cross any part of Africa, but it should be easier than making the cut. The men of Punya and I will help you build your railroad. And you will help me erase my great mistake.
In just a moment, a preview of our next exciting story of Tarzan. In later years, Tarzan was destined to question whether his strange experiences in the mystic land ever really happened at all. And yet at the time they occurred, they seemed real. The buildings and the people and the strange acting animals appeared as genuine as those of his own jungle. But one can be sure of nothing except that death has small wings, which is the title of our next story of Tarzan. Tarzan, the transcribed creation of the famous Edgar Rice Burroughs, is produced by Walter White, Jr., prepared for radio by Bud Lesser, with original music by Albert Glasser. This is a Commodore production. and previous episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash Silver Age Heroes. Join us again, same bat time, same bat station for another presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior!